BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Saturday edition of the pod. And I think we, both of us individually, got the exact results that we were rooting for here. Two great games, but now two 3-0 leads in these series. I think, although that LeBron game winner was unbelievable, we have to start with Philly-Boston since that was just such a hard-fought, close game throughout the entirety of the contest. Boston taking it 101-98. And we'll get to, obviously, the end of this game, all the possessions that mattered to give boston that win but i think where i have to start here is with philly and the fact that to me joel Embiid and ben simmons just haven't been as good as we thought they were in this series we thought that the sixers had a clear talent advantage in this series and just with the way those guys have played that has not been the case yeah i would say that's overall true both Embiid and simmons i think had their best games of this series so far in this wait a minute what about didn't joel Embiid have like an efficient 31 points in game one he was oh maybe yeah. i'm forgetting i was maybe i was thinking that was last series that could that could yeah. very well be but but i i think it was it was kind of along those lines though of some of the little mistakes and it was more possession by possession than stats based and simmons attacked better in this game but but not quite enough and i think they'll get they'll improve and it the, it is a big learning experience there's this old story about you know teams just having to get put through the paces and all of that though it is worth mentioning that a a lot of the Celtics are going through a similar process as well, but the Celtics' best players, even if some of their players beyond that are unavailable, or at least close to it, they've been better so far than the Sixers guys. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you would have to say that both Al Horford and Jason Tatum, those have probably been the two best players in this series so far, and how bitter it must be for the Sixers, who moved up for number three in part because they didn't believe that Tatum would be a good fit with the talent that they already had. I think that's been proven to be quite incorrect uh, with Tatum's three-point shooting his ability to play right away uh and he really had some huge iso scores in this game when they couldn't get anything going and then Horford I and mean, Embiid just could not get anything going against him uh, offensively if Embiid finished 10 out of 26 Al Horford just blocked a couple of his post-ups which is insane considering that Embiid has a four-inch height advantage uh, on Horford and I want to get back a little bit to Simmons uh, and Embiid it's not so much okay they're not scoring enough to me it's some of the mental mistakes that we've made which we'll get to but also i think they just don't quite play hard enough yet uh maybe that's conditioning maybe that's just not being in this moment yet maybe it's that things have come too easily for them so far in their careers and simmons certainly did a better job of playing harder this year put playing smarter and beat was was a great defensive player during the regular season uh but those guys i think have really kind of gotten out efforted in this series in addition to and whether that's determination to fight harder and power through guys on the block and really go into your move whether it's pushing the ball in the transition whether it's getting back on defense whether it's just a ability to move around the court defensively i think it, they've disappointed in a lot of those areas and so it, that's it i mean i think it, those guys just haven't been good enough in this series for the sixers to win um but let's turn now a little bit more to the the rest of the game what else did you have on this one here oh i thought a lot of the sixers support players just did not have good games overall covington Oof. was pretty awful in this one top to bottom i mean defensively he was getting beat one-on-one he is a better help defender than man-to-man defender which is sometimes hard to convey it's like the he's better at the things that are harder to see but he had a, a rough defensive game here and then couldn't buy a shot yeah. whether it was close to the basket or or his threes yeah. Co- coming to, and, to finish up on him if you're going to transition to someone else I, I think yeah i mean that's been the most disappointing aspect is just how many times he's just gotten beaten like on a straight line drive like not even like just totally out of the picture as the guy gets 
gets through and i felt okay maybe he's not strong enough to guard like a lebron or something like that but for guys like tatum who does have great footwork but but even like you know horford blew by him one time i think it was marcus morris like i mean there there are a lot of guys who are just able to get right to the rim on him like straight line drives that are so fast that the help can't even get there you know he's not even like making these guys go around him basically so and then obviously the shooting uh, you know that, that's gonna wax and wane with him that's just how it is and so he other than one play late did not close only 25 minutes in this game it was belnelli and reddick together down the end but the, the sixers overall probably didn't lose this game uh on defense necessarily uh at least you know overall in the scheme of things uh but yeah i interrupt you what, what else did you have i also thought that dario charge didn't have a great game not as egregious as covington to be sure but he has struggled and it isn't necessarily a surprise i just didn't really think about it when going through the series that he has really struggled with the strength the physical strength of the celtics forwards that he just can't really get through them in the same way that he did so much in the regular season and they have a lot of different guys to, th- to throw at him just like they do at ben simmons and so he's shooting 37 percent from the field in the series 29 percent from three and the three pointers those will come and go I, i'm not as, as worried about that they don't seem like particularly bad shots i think mid-rangers have actually been worse than his threes and then defensively he's been okay but definitely not great and the support players broadly speaking for the celtics have been better in this series even though they've been going to an unusual cast of characters especially with jalen brown still being limited he did play significant minutes in this game he ended up playing 29 which seemed to be right up against the minutes limit i'm sure we'll talk about that later but they they got solid contributions from up and down the roster not all around necessarily but what they needed from each guy yeah and brown i mean he's playing still on one leg it seems like with with that hamstring i think he's he's found a way to contribute by you know just not going into a full sprint not jumping absolutely as high as he can not attacking the rim but with the the usual verve that he would have but three of six on three points for him contributed 16 points on 13 shooting possessions which is like in this game was uh you know one of the best offensive performances of the game um i thought that Embiid is ineffectiveness in the post it was again a disappointment whether it was turning and facing uh his three-pointer has been way off in this series like he's not even close on these ones he only took one today uh and they're giving the ball a lot but you know we thought that maybe he would be the guy danny it's like oh he's just so big and so hard to stop in the post that he's gonna break this system and i don't think the celtics have double teamed him once unless he's just got even when he gets like right to the rim and i think he's trying to do you know he just doesn't quite know what he wants to do sometimes he tries to go into these skill moves and he kind of gets pushed off his shot and and you know does these really difficult jump hooks where he like fakes one way and then goes over the other shoulder which is really difficult footwork for anyone uh when you don't have when you're trying to go off of the foot that isn't your pivot foot on a jump hook after you've already faked towards your pivot foot um you know he wasn't able to beast al horford despite having a significant weight advantage uh you know wasn't able to create space really for the jump hook with his shoulder i I thought he had a lot of chances where he could have just shot over the top and just didn't he tried to go to the power game but the power game wasn't really working for him and then he would get blocked by horford uh the face-up jump shot which has usually been money for him has not been going down maybe the mask is bothering him maybe it's the higher intensity of playoff basketball uh maybe it's the layoff who knows what it is but uh he has not been able to be effective in the post um yeah Uh, something i wanted to run by you is i want to praise marcus cousins for generally being very decisive once he gets the ball in the post you know i partially because i think he's so much he's so confident in his physical advantages and i think abid could get a little something from that because the time he takes to kind of figure out what he wants to do allows the defender and sometimes the defense there was one great play where Jalen brown he said they didn't help much and it's true they didn't but on one play what once Jalen brown realized that Embiid was taking that shot no matter what he got over there and affected it which i thought was really well done that's exactly how you want to handle it the Cavs have actually done that with valanchunas a few times and just getting into it being like okay i maybe it's not going to be the exact right move you know the right button combination for that thing but i'm still so good so big so strong that it's going to work more often than not in the meat of the game i thought it was really interesting this has seemed to be the case most of the series philly's starting lineup which was the best high minute unit in basketball this season has really gotten work in this series and they were ineffective again tonight really philly in both halves made their best runs with their bench unit with Embiid and a bunch of reserves out there including mcconnell that was evidence in part by bellinelli 
it being plus 15 and then brett braun he usually he was going back to his full starting lineup you know early in the second early in the fourth and then that lineup against with horford out of the game still was getting beat up you know it was really it was surprising just the the how ineffectual that starting lineup which worked so well all season had played uh and i i was killing braun in game two for not going to covington down the stretch but i thought he was so bad in this game that it, i i finally got on board with that uh so i understand why they didn't play him more than the 25 minutes we can get to the end of it now yeah well i want to mention yeah, one sure. more thing before we do and it'll tie in with something that goes in it's that you can make arguments about the theoretical legality of it but it doesn't necessarily matter marcus smart is holding jj reddick an absolute ton off the ball we see this all the time with really good catch and shoot guys and i'm sure sixers fans are getting really mad about it but that is the way the nba is officiated in the playoffs and i've been around this for a while in various capacities and i understand you know it is frustrating that that those plays are called differently to a point and that the the contact occurs so much more in the playoffs as well cleveland has been kind of ramping this up over the years and that's just the way it is and so jj reddick had a much harder time getting loose and it seemed like he relished the opportunities he had when marcus smart either wasn't on him or more accurately wasn't in the game yeah and the sixers definitely run a lot of stuff in floppy i I thought that the sixers did not push the ball nearly enough against simmons was this great transition player in the regular season and he's just walking it up after misses he's jogging it up at best i mean i can't remember one play where he dribbled the ball up court as fast as he could you know when it wasn't just like oh i've got a wide open breakaway here uh he also tried to go for a monster dunk when he finally got open i think that was about five minutes ago they blew a switch like one of the few times they'll make a mental error he rolls right in nobody's there he tried to just dunk the shit out of the ball and just bounced it out of bounds like they probably could have used those two points uh down the end uh and another thing that came under criticism for the sixers is the fact that they never run pick and roll and i think they could try it a little bit more uh one of their more reliable plays has been reddick screening for simmons at the foul line and then popping out to three you know they never run a pick and roll with like Embiid, uh or you know the hey let's run a pick and roll with just whoever is guarding shane larkin you know that's just not what they're doing uh the boston took that away in this game by just switching that and they were okay even if it was someone guarding reddick that wasn't real big uh onto simmons they just felt like ben simmons wasn't going to be aggressive enough to hurt them and i think largely they were correct in that assessment especially when you're giving up threes to reddick or you're letting simmons get right to the rim we're just going to stay solid get someone in front of them and then you know we've got some help available if they need it uh so an awesome stat in this game from the score being tied at 75 it then was tied at 77 79 81 83 85 87 and 89 and then 91 going into i'm sorry no 89 it was going into the ot that's pretty incredible and it wasn't you know i think that there are times when there was a four-point lead in there or no i'm sorry there's times when one team would score four in a row basically and but no team ever led by more than two during that entire period which i, I thought was pretty incredible uh let's pick it up in the fourth quarter al horford had a couple of big post-up buckets uh one of them on Ilyasova that should have been an and one i still was struck i have in my notes here that ben simmons just not pushing the ball at all he had plenty of chances uh Embiid, although he did play poorly had those two ridiculous dunks one where he just completely ended baines in transition the other one where he drove left on a face up against horford from the top of the key most generally those top of the key drives for Embiid have not been there he's, he's gone away from them but that one he just dunked it right on horford head uh but we'll pick it up late it was tied at 85 when marco bellinelli had a drive in from the left wing and smart picked up his sixth foul did you agree with that call i thought it was close but i would have erred i would have leaned on the side that it wasn't a foul there was some contact but i don't think it was sufficient yeah i mean smart did come from out of nowhere and kind of get in front of it but he was backing up and if he did hit him with anything it was with his chest uh i never got a look at the replay i I rewound it but they never showed anything closer than just the overall view or any other angle so it was difficult really to see that fouled smart out of the game and bellinelli hits a couple of free throws put him up 87 85 C's come down nothing going at all marcus morris is maybe even in the air for a mid-ranger and brad stevens sprints down and calls timeout like as morris is going up pretty close to whether he got it off before them but so now they go to a sideline out of bounds and this was just another brad stevens special i mean he we know the other one horford for the winning what became the winning layup but this one was just as good jalen brown in the corner and i'm not sure why it was that the sixers were switching everything on this play but steven certainly knew that that would be their mo uh, i mean there there was, was like eight on the shot clock or something like that you know i'm not sure why 
you would necessarily be in like switch everything mode at that time but they set three different screens which ended with Jalen Brown coming out of the corner to the free throw line he set a screen on Ilyasova kind of similar to like a wedge screen that was bringing Marcus Morris to the ball Tatum was the inbounder on this play and then he made contact and just like you would on like a split screen out of the post he makes contact he's got inside position gives a little shove to Ilyasova and he's wide open the pass was actually a little bit behind him he could have just gone right up with it if if it the pass had been a little better but still a good catch good finish on Ilyasova who was behind him that tied the game and then uh Philly did not take a timeout which we advocate but uh it may have come back to haunt them in this situation yeah and so Redick is gets the ball across half court I think he's the one who actually brought it no, across no, it and then Simmons. it's one of these they were kind of Simmons yeah. and then he passed yeah. it to Redick and then, and then away, yeah, right. and for some reason Redick just like threw it at Simmons ass like I don't know why yeah and it, it was like it was like in like a timing play except that that was the last you know it's the last possession of the game I mean you want it to be because Boston didn't pull off getting a getting a two for one the reason we actually wanted two for one there so you can get the ball back didn't matter they got it back anyway and it was it was such a weird play because Redick he threw it like he knew what was happening and there was nothing else to indicate that what he expected to happen on that play was actually occurring. well and I can't think of any situation and I can't recall ever seeing an action like that from Philly and this the play that they called was a live play you know they they and maybe they had something set up in the huddle like an if they score uh, off the preceding timeout we're gonna run this but you know there's about seven seconds left they start to run the play it looked like Embiid was about to go screen for Redick and it's why you would ever throw it to Ben Simmons there like why he would be expecting that pass like he's not like some shooter who's gonna be like you know he's he's cutting away like there's no reason to think that he's gonna be catching the ball there and like taking a mid-ranger or something like I mean I guess Redick just thought he was open or something I don't know I, I would love to I haven't been able to find a, his quotes after the game yet of what happened on that play but he throws it away it just bounces to the other side Terry Rozier in the first of two huge steals that he would have late shot like a cannon out of the corner just picks off the pass Jalen Brown runs it down too and Ben Simmons just never moved uh he I'm not sure if he could have gotten back he is a really fast player in transition when he really wants to run but it was just utter dejection from him that's like one of the plays that I'm talking about of just not being like mentally tough enough on that play there was a steal and I guess you just thought oh well if I there's no point in getting back I mean there's seven seconds left in the game even if there you think it's not going to happen you might as well just sprint as hard as you can uh and Jalen Braun Embiid went down so he couldn't get back there were two Sixers back but they weren't really in position it was I think McConnell and Redick or Bellinelli and Redick I can't remember which two and Redick was one of them for sure he forces Rozier to pass and maybe if Ben Simmons sprints he might be able to get there and affect Jalen Braun's layup but he never even crossed half court uh so we'll never know the answer to that of whether he could have interdicted or not Jalen Braun running absolutely as fast as he can on his partially torn hamstring uh manages to lay it in and Boston led it by two with 1.7 remaining yeah and so from from that point Philly uses their they use their timeout because they have to and they advance the ball and I was amazed they got as good a look as they did were you as surprised as I was yeah I was and the the play was interesting it was Marco Bellinelli coming from the free throw line Brett Brown later said after the game he thought it was a three because it was designed to be a three it was designed to be a walk-off that's kind of what the math says that you should do in that situation although they did you know in theory playing at home you would have thought they could have been favorites in overtime but that obviously didn't prove to be the case so Bellinelli comes from the free throw line Ilya Sova who I thought played pretty well you know he earned the the minutes at the end over Saric kind of goes to set a screen for Bellinelli but kind of doesn't and that caused confusion between Rozier who was on Bellinelli and Tatum who was on Ilya Sova Tatum probably should have switched that but he wasn't really clear whether contact had occurred or not and so Bellinelli was able to get about as open as you can get in that situation and loves to shoot it going to his right kicking that right leg out to square up and he drained it everyone goes crazy thinks that it's a three but he clearly was on the line and I'm not really sure how you can get behind the line with your momentum going all the way into the corner like that I mean maybe some guys could do it but it's just it was very difficult especially because he didn't even know who was behind him so he's clearly on the line it's a two confetti falls out of the rafters and uh there's a seven minute delay to stop the confetti and clean that all up and then we went into the overtime which was characterized by two and a half minutes basically right at the start 
without a stoppage and everyone was completely exhausted including uh Embiid but a, a few plays that stood out during that period the Celtics had Shane Larkin in Jalen Brown was out I guess because he was on a minutes limit they were able to bring him back late which proved to be pretty big uh I thought they probably should have gone with Semi Ojale even though he'd only played four minutes and Philly actually got two buckets at Larkin's expense one of them was one of the two Ben Simmons pick and rolls they ran in the whole game both of them led to uh, immediate Simmons layups one of them was Larkin switched on to Simmons and he went right to the room for a layup the other one was a side pick and roll where Redick was able to hit a tough free throw line jumper over Al Horford which they had to switch that side pick and roll late they didn't want to and then they had to because Redick was going to be open uh so those are a couple plays they made attacking Larkin meanwhile for the Celtics Tatum had this yeah go ahead well I think I I thought the most important thing for the Celtics actually which was a continuation of plays outside of the time frame we talked about for the end of the game was actually a couple free throws they missed so Tatum split two and he missed two with about four and a half minutes to go which felt big I think that was right around the time Simmons missed that dunk and then Horford split two and these are all while the Sixers had the lead and were you know the Celtics are kind of not frantically but they're trying to get back in the game and like oh I wonder if that's gonna matter and then it ended up not mattering because they hit a bunch of other shots yeah I thought Tatum again was some huge plays one of them he got an iso on and beat and this is at a point again when everyone was just exhausted and Philly like didn't even know what they were doing they double teamed the ball but everyone was just too tired to even cut or like look for someone cutting to the rim so they ended up with Embiid on Tatum Tatum drove to his left and pump faked Embiid in the air and scored it and I think this is interesting we've seen a lot of guys especially on switches have success with pump fakes at the rim and there it used to be that in the NBA hey you know what like coaches would teach guys not to pump fake at the rim in those situations because you do that and now there's just too much help these guys are too athletic like you're just you're never going to get your shot off but in today's game with the floor space that for these isos a lot more i think that it's different where maybe that pump fake should be taught a little bit more the especially when you can get the big man going and then stop you know derrick rose used to do that but he would spin back over his shoulder now maybe you can just stop and pump fake and go into your move as the the guy goes flying and there's just not going to be another help guy available especially when you know the scheme seems to be so many times hey we're not going to help as much as we might have in the past uh so he scored that one which was fantastic but philly still led it by four tatum again was guarded by marco bellinelli which was the downside but i mean again covington wasn't doing a good job so i'm not sure who else you even want to have on tatum maybe you could say it would have been ben simmons but tatum drives by bellinelli after getting a nice screen to the elbow goes to the left and then he scores over Embiid with the left hand again Embiid just not quite able to get there not quite able to affect the shot it was a great finish from tatum but you hope for more from joel Embiid in that situation a guy who is in defensive player of the year consideration and was very difficult to score on at the rim in the regular season so that made it 98 96 and another huge play which kind of got lost in this was an Embiid turnover rosier does a great job denying marco bellinelli on an initial handoff Embiid loses it goes and tracks it down in the corner and or, or i'm sorry out near half court on the sideline and rosier kind of like gets close to him making him think that okay i, I better pass it to marco bellinelli now but rosier sort of like went over towards him put his hand on his stomach and then ran away back to bellinelli and by the time Embiid processed that and kind of lobbed the pass to bellinelli rosier knocks it away in the air and then horford this is another time right Embiid tired not reacting quickly enough sad that he turned it over whatever it is al horford who started the play behind him beats him down floor by probably 10 feet and then pump fakes Embiid still was kind of there but ended up just coming down on horford and, and fouling him and again what just looked like a very tired kind of foul and Horford you thought he was gonna make both free throws but he missed another one and, and it was 98-97. Yeah. Something else I wanted to mention about Rozier's steal that I, I thought was really interesting is that he so he went over kind of tagged Embiid then went back and he was able to put his hands up and deflect the pass I think he had a feel for where it was going without losing guarding position in case he missed it wasn't a yeah. gamble in the same sense that a lot of these are he got in position and it ended up being somewhat fortuitous that it, it hit Rozier's right hand because then it bounced to an area where the closest guy to it was Rozier was on the opposite side of where Bellinelli was and so then he was able to go and then Horford basically saw it coming and, and pushed straight down the floor so it was a beautiful sequence and Rozier just kind of pushing until they forced the opportunity and so excellent execution by him that's I don't think that's something you game plan for but he just made the right read and was able to do two things at once so 42.5 left at this point one point lead for Philly they finally put Jalen Brown back in and they're able to switch the Simmons Reddick pick and roll uh, rather than having Larkin in so Philly doesn't get much Embiid ends up on the right block really more like the right elbow backs in he has to go to the dirt
Dirk fade, which wasn't close. But Ben Simmons, in what would have been a very nice play, gets the rebound. He's basically on the right block, and the shot clock would have been off at this point. They're well, it was about 18 seconds left, well under the time where they would have just had to foul. And I don't know whether he knew that. I don't know whether he just felt like, hey, I'm open. I'm just going to shoot this layup. Whatever he thought, it wasn't very smart because he just went up with a quick righty half hook just instantly as soon as the ball touched his hands. I mean, he hot potatoed. I mean, it really looked like I don't want to get fouled, which even if he only hits his usual one out of two, that still really helps you in that situation. Uh, and who knows? Maybe he can pass the ball out and get rid of it before Boston realizes, oh man, we got a foul. They, it's unlikely. And usually teams, if they give up an offensive rebound in that situation, they don't realize yet, oh man, we got a foul, right? Because they've been told, hey, don't foul because we got plenty of time to get the ball back. It kind of takes a second. Oh, oh shit. How much time is left? All right. I got, we got to go foul now. Just, I, I mean, I did the last five minutes uh, for my own, just like personal tour NBA show broadcast. And I was like, what is he doing? As soon as he shot it. And, and also I don't believe the Sixers were in the bonus at that point. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know what? They probably, they, I don't, think... I, I don't believe Boston didn't commit a foul in the last yeah, two minutes. No, I think you're right about that. That's a great point. Uh, so he just throws it up. Boston gets the rebound. They kind of saunter it up the floor just as the ball is being entered into the post with Al Horford. Stevens goes to the timeout. That's he, he said after the game, that's my philosophy is, you know, I always let him push it first and see if there's anything in it. But he, he actually said he regretted taking the ball out of Horford's hands there in a post up against Celia Sofa. But uh, it turned out there was no reason for regret whatsoever. No, and it was incredible how this play ended up with a similar result to the other one at the end of regulation. But it was a very different kind of mechanic that made it work because what they did essentially is they got Horford into the paint. Well, here, well first, on first Covington of all, of all people, uh, they took had to take another timeout. Brad Stevens had saved both of his timeouts. That's right. By the way, which helps a lot. And I think actually Stevens may not have realized that the ball would be inbounded as low towards the baseline as it was, given the fact where Horford was when the timeout was called in terms of usually it'd be inbounded from the hash mark because the play had like Jalen Brown standing in the corner and he was so close that there was no way to get a pass to him from where the ball was. And so they ended up not being able to get in. Ilyasova did a nice job denying Tatum, which was important because if he'd gotten it, it could have been him going right at Ilyasova, which would have been a good matchup for Boston. So that's when they went to this second play. And so what Boston did there as as the primary, so, you know, basically the down one point with, I believe was eight seconds to go, is they got everybody other than Horford the hell out of the area. And ha- Horford was on was on Covington. Marcus Morris was the inbounder and just threw a beautiful entry pass, basically kind of the equivalent of throwing an entry pass over a fronted, uh, over a fronting defender and just got it right in there. Beautiful. Yeah, the play, it was similar action, not uh, entirely the same uh, to a play we used to run in high school called Peoria, where you, you bring, and it actually Horford started towards the free throw line. So there's a little bit more complexity, but basically the idea is you're going to start someone on the opposite block, have someone screened for him into the near side corner. And all right, if you just guard that conventionally, that guy is probably going to have an open jump shot right along the baseline. If you switch it, then you have a smaller player and Covington, actually he did switch it as Horford set the screen right at the block. And, but after switching it, Covington decided to try and get around in front. And the design of the play meant that there was absolutely nobody there on backside help. And so it was a beautiful pass from Morris. I mean, you're almost worried about hitting the rim on that pass because he was so low, but they were able to get that pass in. Horford, very lucky, or Covington was lucky that it wasn't a foul. Horford, not really known for his left hand, but goes up with the right and just barely rimmed it in. Although again, he was fouled. And so then Philly took their last time out. They're going to inbound from the side, down one now. And the play, we never got to see exactly what the play was going to be because Al Horford had an unbelievable steal. Marco Bellinelli was going to screen for Horford and it is so hard and you say this so many times Danny that little guys can get away with murder on screens and so Embiid runs up to the elbow Horford gets through the screen by Bellinelli and then knows the pass is coming in and just starts on a dead sprint and by the time the pass had gotten there Horford had stolen it he brings it into the front court gets fouled hits two free throws and then Bellinelli with the Sixers out of time out Bellinelli had to bring it up the left side and actually came pretty close on what would have been the tying three but wasn't a very likely shot there and uh Boston now leads 3-0. And Horford, to because I think this is worth mentioning, in that dead sprint, the only part of him that got in front of that pass were his fingertips, but that's all he needed. Got his fingertips there and then was basically was able to put the ball in an area where only he could get it. And it, it was an absolutely incredible read played by him. And now it sets up, I mean, it, it has never happened in NBA history that a team came back from down 3-0. I do not expect that to change here. It's possible the Sixers win game four. I mean, yeah. certainly. They, they don't strike but me as the kings 
of mental demoralizing either of like oh we're never going to give up uh you know brett brown is a positive guy i mean i think that you know for most sweeps uh, or most 3-0 series one team has a massive talent advantage you know you would we thought coming in that that wasn't the case i think boston's guys have been better certainly so far uh their coach has been better you know brett brown was getting killed a lot i mean stephen a smith was talking about how it was just a completely insane rotation and like they had all like you won't play markel fultz and like the one guy who has the speed to get open on the inbounds is inbounding the ball and that's simmons and like no actually al horford made a great play he just didn't do a good enough job of screening him and you know Embiid maybe could have tried to seal him off a little bit better could have been a better pass uh you know steven a was blaming brett for all these losses and i think no actually uh i, I mean there, there's a few things like simmons getting shut down not running pick and roll the switches on simmons being so effective but you know not pushing the ball harder but some of that is just that his guys haven't been good enough you know i mean jj reddick has been good enough in this series covington has been very hit or miss he's just been got lit up defensively uh whether it's on mistakes or just straight line drives and bead hasn't been in good enough shape maybe it's the injury uh maybe it's al horford i mean they, they've again gave up like some really easy drive on like p- pick and pop situations with horford being guarded by Embiid, and it's not like horford is hitting all these threes in the series they're just terrified of that happening i guess uh so it, it's uh it's looked really bad for the sixers i mean they played it looked like they were playing well enough to win but it still was just really ugly for them and when you look at the lineups out there on the floor at the end you know i think the the celtics just have more talent based on the way that the guys are playing in this series between brown tatum horford i mean this the the celtics are doing this now with brown playing at two-thirds speed is even more ridiculous but uh yeah i mean we'll see they could easily win game four you and i certainly would be rooting for them to lose in game four and for it not to be close because the series is over we don't really want to talk about it anymore uh after this classic game but yeah i mean you uh they have a better chance than most teams down 3-0 but you know not much i will note you i mean you mentioned the beginning the results that we wanted i would have been happy i I don't root for a specific result a lot of times in games like this but i would have been happy with the sixers win i think this could have been an interesting series had it extended longer but at this point now when you once you know the winner i get a lot less interested in how many games it goes and that is also true of of the second one and i wasn't sure who the winner of this series would be after game two oh Oh, no no i wasn't i wasn't doing a transition um no the the other thing i wanted to mention just because i don't know how much more we're going to talk about this series after this game if ben simmons and joel Embiid are not capable of playing and this is totally fine if they are not capable of playing at maximum or requisite intensity for 41 43 minutes and yes this game went to overtime play them fewer minutes because what you lose by by basically making it okay to ease through stuff i think that permeates a little bit too much with the sixers team and it not everybody can play 45 minutes at maximum intensity and that's you know get into that mold of like if you get tired we'll pull you out we trust our bench that mentality i think works so much better than just oh well do what you need to do it's too important for you to sit yeah, and they did actually they gave him beat a very quick rest in the overtime and then he lobbied to go back in basically he had like a 30 second rest he was looking pretty tired but yeah i, I mean I, I think there's something to that to be sure especially because it's like Embiid has not been the panacea although he was until the very end he, he was quite in the positive in this game but uh you know those guys haven't been so good that it's like oh man we're getting killed the minute these guys go off floor you know if, if they're not playing well enough which they're not and both of their games rely a lot on effort and being strong and, and being able to be physical yeah i, I think that's a, a reasonable idea here um i might give markel fultz a little bit of a running game for if only because a you're down three zero so you might as well just get him a little bit of playoff experience and two just to like see if he can push the tempo and change the tempo a little bit against some of these boston bench units you know i'm not going to play him when al horford's out there when they have their best units out there but i think he can survive okay when simmons is out of the game just give him another look i know mcconnell has played well so they'll probably don't want to do it too much but at this point in the series what do you have to lose um all right let's do a read here and then we'll get to the latest lebron james vivisection of toronto's hearts many people in toronto in fact may want to go crying to their mothers after the this series with mother's day coming up you better at least take care of your mom if you hope to be able to do that and one of the best ways to do that is with ftd with ftd you can get a floral work of art delivered straight to mom's door and the best part here is that it's arranged by a local florist so number one local florists are still in the change you're supporting a local business as well but then also it shows up already arranged when it came to me they the delivery person actually just handed me the arrangement already set up fiance was really happy with them of course and they have a number of different options and styles you can get 25 percent off a florist style bouquet for mom this mother's day at ftd just the three letters ftd.com slash mother's day a little bit different code here than it usually is that's ftd.com slash mother's day
Day, all one word there, ftd.com slash Mother's Day. FTD, we can arrange that. So I don't think we need to spend as much time on the meat of this game. Cleveland 105, Toronto 103. The Raptors were fighting back throughout the entire fourth quarter. DeMar DeRozan played a mere 28 minutes in this game. He was negative 23, 8 points, 3 of 12. I don't believe he played a second in the fourth quarter. He did not. He he left the game with 240, I think it was, left in the third. It was 216, left in the third quarter and never came back in. He also got into... At that point, they were down 16. Yeah, and the Cavs were able to take control late with a 16-2 run in the first half after Toronto got within 39-38. So it looked like the, the game was basically going to be over with the Cavs up 15 at halftime. Toronto hung around in the third. You mentioned that they were down 16 when DeRozan went out, and they just kind of started chipping away at it. More and more, Kyle Lowry, who absolutely, he's played as well as he needed to play in this series. I mean, this has been an incredible offensive series, despite the really slow pace. I mean, every game is offensive ratings, 115 or more. I mean, in this one, the Cavs didn't ever really stop Toronto. Just like in the last game, Toronto had over a 120 offensive rating, and they gave up 141 to the Cavs. Cleveland didn't shoot it quite as well on three-pointers, only 9 out of 25. And LeBron wasn't having the most amazing game, but he didn't need to as they were up most of the way. And then he came through in the fourth quarter. The Raptors were switching CJ Miles onto him, with who was guarding Kyle Korver, and then LeBron was eating up Miles. He did settle for a couple of jumpers, one three that he missed. But other than that, anytime he went at Miles with any kind of an impetus, uh, he was getting whatever he wanted to. They had Ananobi on the floor. I thought Ananobi, in large part, did a great job. LeBron hit some very difficult shots, but you know, you'd be hard pressed. There was only really one play, I thought, where Ananobi just got beaten by LeBron, which was kind of a semi transition situation where LeBron uh, got him with a spin move. But other than that, I thought Ananobi forced him into a difficult shot every time he was one on one. But then the Raps were just going to switch him Ananobi off of him anyway and I thought they did that too easily you know Corver certainly the pick and pop with him Corver was on fire he had 18 points on nine shooting possessions in this game but maybe you bring another guy over to Corver uh, do something you know make J.R. Smith hit a shot make even Kevin Love hit a shot George Hill somebody other than Kyle Corver or LeBron James in that situation and some or some certainly someone other than LeBron James against C.J. Miles which was just not an advantage matchup but nonetheless the Raps somehow managed to come back down the end it seemed like Cleveland was scoring and getting great shots every time but the Raps were doing great as well Lowry was unbelievable I mean he had his 27 points on 16 shooting possessions four of eight from three and seven assists and an OB was playing really well he had a great drive on Kevin Love late and he also had a bank three yes. late. Yeah, he, he had a really lucky stretch. He had a bank three and then uh, should have gotten called for a loose ball foul on Corver that ended up being a turnover and going back to the Raptors. So this last segment of the game, LeBron gets to the rim again per usual. Only made one out of two though. They're up three. Serge Ibaka got called for the foul as LeBron got straight in the lane. But everyone was going crazy. Dwayne Casey was going crazy that Ibaka didn't foul LeBron. He absolutely did. It was such an obvious call. He came across it and number one, he he hits him full in the chest but he's jumping forward by like four feet into lebron and then also he didn't even go straight up he had his arm down as well and there was some contact on the arm so just a plain as day foul call the referee called it late i think he didn't want to call it if lebron had made the shot but he didn't and so they called it and just he wanted to be sure i know you hate the idea of waiting to see whether the shot goes in but it was clearly a foul i mean there's no oh it was late i mean that's that's like that's whataboutism right like if your argument is the call was late as opposed to it wasn't a foul then you don't have it right and I, at first i was struck by how late it was because it was super late but then when i saw the replay i was like oh yeah well it was clearly a foul i mean the contact it was it was illegal contact that materially affected the shot so that's a foul and i understand why you know that that's frustrating i hate as you said i hate those calls but focus on whether the call is correct or not because that's all that matters so ibaka then fouls out after lowry makes a layup they inbound the ball to jeff green who i was shocked to hear that jeff green is an 87 percent free throw shooter that's like one of the most amazing statistics of the year to me i had no idea that he was a really good free throw shooter he probably has been for his whole career i just it never you just don't think of him that way <laughs> i guess uh but he only made one out of two as well and the second one was missed toronto is down three at 15.4 left and cleveland just utterly inexcusable i mean this is a missed free throw this isn't like some transition situation they get the rebound they outlet it to cj miles of all people they don't even get it to lowry the raps are out of timeouts because they had to take one late when ibaka just i thought 
thought he could have shot the tying three and just like tried to dribble against LeBron and then got caught. They had to call a timeout and they didn't get any kind of a shot there. Inbounding the ball into the backcourt uh, with five on the shot clock wasn't the greatest idea, as you noted on that play. But so they inbound it to Miles and Miles is just dribbling up and you're like, oh man, what the hell are they doing? This is not who they want to have the ball. Miles is like, can't even dribble it. And he just throws it ahead to OG and no one is on him. No one's guarding him. And he fakes LeBron in the air. Do you know who the guy was the furthest back is? Because this blows my mind. Yeah. It was Jeff Green. The guy who shot the How free is throw. nobody be- the guy who shot the free throw? How is nobody behind the guy that shot the free throw? Yeah, that's real. I mean, it was ah, just, ah. it was an incredible <laughs> breakdown. And OG with a great fake gets the guy in the air. Bradley Beal certainly tweeted that he traveled. <laughs> but, uh, and OG makes the shot. Then there was no off the glass with that. He just drained it. And so Lou gets a timeout. I would imagine that it was LeBron who probably requested that they go full court with eight seconds remaining. Casey goes in with Pascal Siakam and Siakam and OG, it looked like they were trying to deny James, but because Love could run the baseline, he was able to get the angle. He gets it into LeBron. They had to back up. OG didn't take the greatest angle. And then Kyle Lowry did a great job of coming over into help position. It looked like James was going to turn the corner. He couldn't. And so James was just like, oh, okay, I'll just like throw up this casual one foot, one hand banker off the glass. It was listed as nine feet, which is ridiculous. They always screw this up. They always say it's closer than it is on these shots. Like that was like a 17 footer. Yeah, 16 was what I thought yeah. it was. Like he's well outside the lane. I mean, like the outside of the lane is eight feet if you're in a direct line to, along the baseline. So you're there's no way that was a nine foot shot. He's like five, six feet outside the lane and just kisses it in beautifully, playing his day like he's just screwing around in his backyard. Game over. And it was such a hard shot. You know, like it it was incredible that he made it and, and I expected it to go in as soon as he shot it, even though I never think of LeBron's, you know, running floater game as being amazing from 16 feet. And I know some people have been really criticizing CJ Miles for not getting in there. And for I, I don't understand necessarily why CJ Miles was in the game to begin with because he's a bad who, defender who would, and was a defensive who would you possession. With? I probably honestly would have gone with like somebody like Darrell Wright. Just have somebody else uh, did, who's d- strong Wright, and smart mean, and don't yeah. I mean I guess either I one. guess they both would have been better idea that Miles if they had to switch on to LeBron was better, which uh no he's not good at, at switching on to LeBron. He's he uh <laughs> we've seen that. Yeah and you know it was a difficult situation. It was an impossible shot. If it's in the half court, I think you make more of an effort to double LeBron. If you really watch the film, I don't see where someone was supposed to come double. He is on Kyle Korver. I mean, I admit he kind of deactivated. At least maybe you kind of, you're in a stance and you kind of like fake and take a step towards him, make him think just a second about it or something. Uh, But Korver, yeah. yeah like a stun or yeah, something. Yeah, but Korver was so good at it. And, you know, I mean, you really have to be looking at the clock. That's something that should be taught though by coaches is, all right, I mean, you could just drill it of what is the time when you can leave and just go at the guy because there just there isn't time to get a pass off but you know with how fast lebron throws the pass with how fast corver can shoot it but i mean at that point i'd probably even rather have corver just shooting a wide open three because just someone else and lebron as good of a passer as he is and when's the last time he actually made a pass in those situations you know early in his career he was crucified for making passes in those situations which were certainly the right basketball play uh but generally he's shooting it because he has such confidence now in his ability uh and you know that's probably right i mean this is this really with these playoffs and Steph Curry in 2016 was the best clutch season that I could remember at least in terms of regular season um and until that last game in the finals he was pretty good in the clutch in the playoffs too uh you know he had that 17 point overtime and was big in that game famous game six in OKC although a lot of that was clay as well uh but what LeBron is doing so far what he did in the regular season is net rating the uh the like 61 percent usage or whatever it was in the clutch and incredible efficiency and the, their efficiency as a team i mean this is certainly right up there if not maybe the best clutch season that we've ever seen at least to date we'll see what happens in the rest of the playoffs yeah and another demoralizing loss for the raptors but i guess you could say fortunately there's only one left there's only so much that that he can do and yeah i mean it, it's a remarkable performance by lebron and we will get at least another five games of it in the in the eastern conference so at least another five games of it total but spectacular we, we didn't ever go through his overall line so i'll do it 38 points 14 of 26 from the field only one of four from three and nine of 11 from the free throw line one of his only two misses was that one late and overall nine of 13 in the restricted area and then he you know mixed mixed bag outside of there three of six from mid-range so he's been killing the raptors in different ways basically every single game yeah kevin love another big game i mean 21 points he was plus 20 in his 38 minutes and again did it most of it from two point range only one of three on three pointers but certainly the gravity that he has was 
massive as well george hill being able to play 35 minutes looks like his back issues are in the rearview mirror he had 12 points and you mentioned corver or i did actually with 18 points and so a pretty impressive game from him and for the reps i'm sure there'll be a lot of discussion of DeRozan not being out there but i think you'd be hard pressed to argue that they would have played better if he were out there uh, um and as it turned out they brought they made some weird changes they brought ibaka off the bench in this game and he actually was plus three i thought he they played him much more at center than they had as well i mean i think they even though like miles was getting killed they also again just had no answers whatsoever for the screening action out of the corner that the Cavs have just killed them with this entire series and they, their only option really that they've been able to deal with is switching that so that's uh, and then you know they get some tiny guy on love in the post they just don't have enough versatility with a lot of their guys they're hunting down the matchups and you know very simple stuff from the Cavs, but the reps uh, have not been able to stop it and i'm not i don't really have a great answer for what to do about that screening action out of the corner either if you don't have the personnel to switch it i mean i think maybe you need to try to fight through the screen uh get more ball pressure at the point of attack as well maybe you try to bring a guy over from the weak side if the the guy does get through on that back cut to the rim so those are some things you could try but you know it, it, there are no great solution to that play and it's been incredibly successful for the cavaliers uh going back to the regular season anything else on this one no not particularly right, well before we move on to friday's games let's talk to you about team rubicon danny a charity that you have been donating to since 2012 yeah i've got connected with them i was looking for a charity and i always like finding something that connects with me personally and team rubicon fit that because i, I really liked what their goal was and then as i started getting more connected with it the way that they executed and so the core idea is military veterans come back and they've developed all these skills while in the armed services and sometimes they're looking for a purpose sometimes it's just a great way to connect with the community if if it happens to be that the disaster strikes where they near where they are and but they have great skills that can mesh with first responders it's not necessarily to replace them but just to work with them and so what team rubicon does is it is this group of amazing volunteers that that can respond to a disaster and so it's not political or anything like that unfortunately disasters can strike anywhere irrespective of you know political beliefs or class or race or anything like that and so team rubicon their goal is to be there to help if you want to learn more about them uh, or donate it yourselves uh, as we have team rubicon usa.org slash cap space easier or cap space we talk about it all the time in the program or you can text the word cap space to the five digit number 87872 if you want to make a donation or simply get more information about team rubicon maybe volunteer yourself as well that's team rubicon usa.org slash cap space or text cap space to 87872 let's turn now to friday's games the games that were so boring that we decided to postpone until we had more exciting games to talk about but uh i think we should start with warriors pels and maybe we can start off a, a little bit better than the warriors did with their starting lineup steve kerr had the option and brought steph curry back into the starting lineup and while the warriors had done a nice job not a perfect job but a very nice job defending anthony davis with the center combination of kavon looney david west and draymond green who had been starting at the five in the first two games he went nah let's play javel mcgee and then when that went okay but not particularly great in the first half ended up going back to it in the third quarter which ended up going actually worse than the yeah, first people quarter. forget the words were right back in the game after trailing by almost 20 clay thompson was on fire in the second and certainly you know i think there's not playing draymond at center steve kerr has gotten away with that for a long time he just it's just his conservative nature right he doesn't he doesn't want to feel like he's laying all his cards out there on the table but you know why not just like seize the opportunity and win uh but i think that's really putting the cart before the horse because the new orleans pelicans played extremely well and most importantly played extremely well defensively there are a few stats on this but basically this is one of the worst games that the warriors have ever played offensively with steph curry and kevin durant available and they now already have three games in these playoffs with a worse offensive game than their worst game of the 2017 playoffs in part because steph hasn't been available but what did the pels do defensively to make things difficult i thought they did a good job contesting just about every shot they sealed off the the paint and the restricted area much better than in the first couple games and while the warriors were credited with 24 fast break points i thought the pelicans did a pretty good job of of getting back and mitigating the most damaging elements that the warriors can do offensively in those sets and then another part you give some credit to the pelicans for this and some just to the warriors is that stephen curry wasn't creating as much separation and so that could be rondo i thought did a very good job on him overall and some of that is also you know curry making his way back from the sprained mcl i think the biggest thing they did too is we lamented their just incredibly poor defense 
defense in game one and they gave up just so many system buckets warriors i can't remember a single one that they got off of a cut in this game they were being the pels were being more physical they were switching when they needed to switch they were getting over screens more and really forcing the warriors to beat them over the top with mid-rangers and the warriors usually an unbelievable mid-range shooting team that was not the case in this game and moreover through three quarters basically the competitive portion of the game the warriors i believe only had 16 shot attempts in the restricted area and they finished with 20 which would be the worst in the league this year and then golden state took 41 bad twos in this game 4 of 15 from floater range 8 out of 26 for mid-range and then they didn't have the three ball working either although again i thought a lot of those were pretty decent defensive plays by the pals warriors only yeah and yeah, and that ahead. is in sorry then that is in stark contrast to the threes that the pelicans were getting a lot of those were on plays where like salmon hill they were leaving him open in the first half which i think is a bad strategy because salmon hill can actually take shots he's been hesitant since coming back from his from his hamstring but he's still talented enough to absolutely make those shots i think he was 34 percent last season because he actually played last season and the other big one was the warriors miscommunicating or just botching yep. switches and so what new orleans so new orleans took advantage of that in the half court they also took advantage of that in transition they were doing a lot of handoffs to the trail guy and then just it was rondo most of the time and then rondo was just basically standing between anthony davis once Mirtich once standing between their guy and the ball and they were getting an unimpeded look from three and they sank both of those and then drew hit a couple bunch of those plays yeah the pels finished 14 of 31 from downtown the warriors 9 of 31 so certainly that disparity in shooting but again i agree with you that i thought the pels got some better looks in this game rondo 21 assists in this one he had 10 in the first half and then even poured it on later than that i thought the other thing that the pels did is both miritich and davis and perhaps they were spurred on by the fact that they didn't get that many calls in game two and so i said hey you know where are these where are these fouls that you think are happening pelicans like i know you took a lot of shots in the lane but i didn't really see you going through guys by any means and they still only got 12 free throw attempts in this one but i think both miritich and davis came out and said you know what we need to just play stronger we need to be more physical we need to post up deep on these switches uh ad started hitting the offensive glass more as well had three offensive rebounds i think all three of those ended up being dunks uh and rondo excellent post entry passer the warriors i don't think that their strategy is as bad as some people are saying of just you know laying off him a little bit and letting him make passes i think that when draymond green is defending him that that makes some sense but i think it makes more sense when rondo doesn't have the ball when he has the ball i think you need to provide some modicum of pressure on him because there's if he has it there's only so much you can do not guarding him when he does have the ball i think if you provide a little pressure when he has it then yeah go ahead help off him as much as you want to when he doesn't have the ball and get into his vision a little bit there because with the warriors switching there are little openings there and if rondo he's a good enough passer that if you don't pressure him he can pick those apart a couple other little tactical things i wanted to talk about in this game the warriors going to javel at center also screwed up the rest of their rotation because andre guadala now is coming off the bench and i don't think he ever got into a rhythm in the game and defensively couldn't provide as much value his minutes were staggered more from draymond green and kavon looney in in the same manner like he he just got in there for part of the time they also didn't use david west in the first and third quarters when that had worked reasonably well earlier in these playoffs and so they got away from a lot of the things that worked and and didn't really have anything in return and then the other tactical element the other way that i thought was shocking was ian clark was unplayable in the first two games of this series and was great in, in game three hit a bunch of shots i thought but he was better defensively he wasn't on livingston the whole time but i thought that clark did a better job when that was the matchup and so they were the pelicans and this is a parallel to the rockets game which we'll talk about in a little bit they got much better contributions on both ends of the floor from their non-stars and their stars played better so it really did all fit together yeah the other thing too is that the warriors with steph curry back had to play a lot more conventional defense they couldn't switch as much and that really i thought the pels did a great job of you know with curry generally hiding on each one more they actually got more of the ball a fair amount and uh, or maybe it would be clark and so those guys were able to get into the lane and now you're in conventional pick and roll defense against anthony davis and he's going to kill you whether it's on the offensive glass whether it's alley-oop dunks whether it's popping for jump shots he finished 15 out of 27 and also had four steals in this game although he did not have any blocks uh and 33 points plus 24 uh, and uh, for him you know he's not been that great scoring one-on-one against even looney not to mention draymond green he could do that every once in a while but he was able to get more of the easy shots and he started five of 14 so when he really got 
going in the third he was 10 out of his last 13 and he was just finishing everything around the rim during that time period he even had three assists which is usually not what you expect to see from him and overall the Pels 36 assists on their 48 field goals and they had a lot of field goals because they didn't get to the line very much yeah it was a, a great game for them top to bottom I was very impressed with the effort they played with and, and the execution I thought they did a much better job defending these Warriors than the Warriors for the first couple games which is impressive and, and should be appreciated and we'll see where it goes in game four on Sunday I know you probably wanted to end it here but we have to discuss Steph Curry and how he looked I think that this was oh yeah 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 uh, he looked very slow and particularly with the ball in his hands the Pels were able to get away with conventional pick and roll defense they didn't have to trap really they didn't have to switch they're able to just have the guy fight over the screen and Curry in part because you know he had JaVale McGee out there Looney like those guys aren't the best screen setters compared to Zaza when he's out there even or Draymond who's really the, the guy who probably should be setting most of these screens uh when Draymond would set the screen they're able to get more separation but Steph really was not able to get around the screen get in the lane one of the big indicators for him coming back in 2016 that was ugly was his two-point percentage Steph shot an unbelievable percentage on twos this year and has not been able to do that so far in these playoffs he's only at 40 percent through two games and so we've said this many times the first game back from injury with the adrenaline you could play well the second game you know maybe your conditioning isn't there uh, as much but uh we'll, we'll see how he plays in game four because this is a process for him coming back and i know he played great in that first game but it, you can't just say all right he's back he played well in one game i mean we're gonna see that this thing could wax and wane it maybe he's sore one day maybe he's not you know and, and so i mean it's basically his health was the reason why i picked the houston rockets to advance to the nba finals he, i know he was supposed to be back but if he's not himself then maybe they're gonna struggle it certainly was it is kind of funny though danny i'm sure everyone was saying oh yeah the warriors like they're clearly the favorites the rockets they're frauds they lost at home to the jazz in game two warriors beat the pels pretty comfortably the first two games so obviously the warriors are gonna rock and then uh we have these two game threes and i i suspect that that perspective may have shifted so much perhaps wrongly but uh i think a lot of people would feel that way now well those who overreact one way it makes sense that they would overreact <laughs> yeah. the other way doesn't it <laughs> yeah it's a great point and houston i assume we're using that as the transition of that game i i thought uh, an important point and i mentioned this actually in the previous section was they got much better contributions from players outside of capella uh, sorry outside of harden and paul is leading into capella in this game ariza was hitting more of his shots four of eight from the field eric gordon looked a lot more comfortable on the floor and then i thought clint capella maybe the biggest difference maker in the beginning part of game three he was sealing off the paint and utah was not getting good looks on the interior and their offense suffered for oh yeah donovan mitchell was completely shut down i'm just gonna focus on the first half because uh you know when one team leads 70 to 40 at halftime you probably don't really care what happened in the second half so the jazz you'd think oh yeah they probably like to only score 40 points like uh, they must have really struggled from three now they actually shot 36 percent five out of 14 unfortunately that left them at 10 out of 27 on two point and they got no offensive rebounds basically only got to the foul line for six attempts and donovan mitchell was completely shut down he was one out of ten uh one of two on threes and really what the problem was was he was going into the lane on floaters he wasn't able to get great separation against whoever was guarding him and so he would get in the lane try to go to a floater but the guy wasn't actually who's was guarding him wasn't behind him and so he had to just kind of throw it up from a very awkward angle capella was blocking a number of shots he was just a monster at the rim the jazz hit a few layups towards the end just because royce o'neill got out in transition a few times to get him back into back within 17 to make it slightly interesting until the rockets turned it on again but the jazz were only nine out of 24 in the paint in that first half and they started four of 16 no that's not right they started four out of 12 at the rim made a few late as i said a lot of those were in transition but it really just once houston and then started in the second half of game two was able to clean up the system plays for the jazz i think they got maybe one rudy gobert dunk on those slips of the rim and then it was jazz having to go one-on-one -on -one. uh donovan mitchell they tried to get james harden onto him but houston did a good job of shrinking the floor and uh capella was there with a lot of help as well and harden did better than i expected him to in that matchup so with all that you know utah just couldn't score and then i thought houston did well going the other way in transition themselves houston did a nice job in transition they were able to catch the jazz a couple times where they focused on the most immediate threat but then didn't have anybody for the next pass twice trevor reese actually got the ball to eric gordon in the corner and he was able to sink both of those threes and then what i thought was also really important for houston was once it got into the half court they were also able to create mismatches and harden did a nice job most of the time you know obviously gobert's fantastic so he doesn't do it every time of making gobert decide and commit and then 
then dealing with it from that point. So sometimes Gobert was sticking with Capella, and so then Harden was shooting the floater himself. He had a beautiful floater game in this one. Other times, Harden was getting Gobert to commit the other way, and then he would do this late pass to Capella, and Capella would finish it with a dunk. And there isn't really, if you get that initial penetration, and again in this game, I thought the Jazz did not do a particularly good job defending Harden. They were trying to make him go to his right, but they weren't really preventing him from going to his right. And once you get that initial that initial penetration, Harden is so good at converting that into points. Yeah, you mentioned the, the forcing him to his right. And, you know, they're getting Mitchell switched on him quite a bit. Uh, the one guy that they don't ever go after, interestingly, is Ingles. Uh, but yeah, there was not a lot of high pick and roll. It was just Harden, ISO, get to the rim. And I thought that, you know, Harden and Paul, it wasn't them hitting these amazing three-pointers like it was in game one in, in this onslaught. But it, it was a lot of just drives to the rim. And the way that they're forcing, we talked about this when we, we did the Twitter NBA show, which we mercifully turned off at halftime. Uh, okay, if you want to say generally we'd like it to force James Harden to his right. All right, I understand that. If you want to play him half a step over, but still straight up in an ISO to take him, uh, to discourage him from going to his left hand, I get that. But what they were doing is they would be forcing him to his left. And then I, we talked about this in game two as well. Not only are they trying to force him to his left, they're opening up their stance. And then even that's not enough because then they want to like get right onto his left hip. And as soon as they t- take a step forward, Harden just takes off and goes. And if you're with your momentum moving forward, you're never going to be able to stay in front of him. And then he's able to drive in. His floater game was working. I mean, that was the other thing too, is that the Rockets, they took, were seven of eight from floater range. I mean, there was still a little bit of a Gobert effect. And then four of four for mid-range. Paul was fantastic. And they started attacking a little bit more at mid-range in a way, partially with the help of Chris Paul, that they really didn't do against somewhat similar strategies from the Spurs last year. So overall, to go 11 of 12 on twos outside the restricted area in the first half, and it wasn't some unbelievable three-point shooting performance. They were eight out of 21. Their role guys actually hit threes reasonably well, as you mentioned. But I mean, it was really, and and they're a little hotter on floaters and mid-rangers than you would expect, certainly. Uh, But I thought that Utah's strategy wasn't as good against James Harden and ISO. Like you you should at least be like forcing him to go to a step back every once in a while or, or, you know, just to give him a straight line path to the room. I mean, you're starting every possession, giving him a five on four, essentially, by just getting on his hip. And yeah, he's going to his right. But I mean, that's not the end of the world here. My favorite stat of the first half of this game was in the half court. So only half court discounting transition. Houston had a 132.5 offensive rating, which is yeah, that's phenomenal. Court. Like that's as, as good as in the half court. And Utah had an offensive rating in the half court of 63.3, which is about as bad as it gets. And those were, you know, there were certainly there were some aberrations in there, you know, shots that you'd expect to go in and all that. But there wasn't too much. Like I thought that it that fairly reflected how these two teams executed in the half court during this game. And, you know, other than the 7-0 Royce O'Neal run, which I think five of those seven points yes. were in transition, the Jazz just weren't able to really get anything going. And and one point you brought up about Mitchell that I wanted to elaborate on a second is that a lot of those times when he was attacking and not getting anywhere, he was being defended by a bigger rocket. So Luke Richard and Bob Mute a couple times, I think it was PJ Tucker once or twice. And yeah, or Capella many a Mitchell time has well. this or Capella, yeah. And he has this mentality of like, okay, I can I can get by anybody. And something we have seen throughout these playoffs was true in, in the Celtic Sixers series as well, and, and a lot of the other ones, is that strength is a very important factor. And I, I think that those matchups, maybe he can use speed to get by some of them, but I mean, all those guys move their feet pretty well. And it's not the same advantage matchup, as you would put it, as maybe Mitchell thinks that it is. Yeah, because if those guys stay in front of him, yeah, you're getting into the paint, but you got to shoot a tough floater now uh, over your defender. And Mitchell also, I mean, he's taking bad shots. I mean, he's getting into the lane and just not, when he's pressured, not looking for shooters. Although he's, it's kind of, I call it pseudo penetration, basically, where he's getting into the lane, but he's not actually drawing help and so you know it's not really opening up the shooters another big factor for the jazz too is their 11 first half turnovers and houston not a team that runs that much uh they had 13 fast break points and probably more than that in semi-transition joe ingles had five turnovers uh, of their 11 and he was the big hero with a career high 27 in game two and at only three points one of five from the field in those five turnovers in the first half of this game uh favors and gobert has not worked at all uh that combination was really ugly uh got them off to some terrible start um you know i I, I mean, they're starting favors for the ego of it. And that was a great lineup for them against OKC. OKC is not Houston by any means. So they may just have to end up starting Crowder at the four, bring favors off the bench. Uh, favors also turned his ankles. We'll see what effect that has. Ricky Rubio, 
questionable for game four if there's any chance that he can play they're going to bring him back because their season is over uh if they lose in game four on sunday all right anything else on this one or shall we wrap it up here nothing nothing else on this one i will mention i had a couple of things come out recently uh real jam radio with tim bontemps we went through all four series but then we also did some coaching carousel stuff and talked about Kawhi. i just asked him out of the blue about Kawhi, so that i thought that was all really interesting that available in whatever podcast player you use also did a piece with uh john krasinski of the athletic minnesota on jimmy butler's extensions it started actually as a slack yeah, conversation I, I enjoyed that and one, by the we way. got yeah, into a little, little like q a D- danny got a few of his uh his his fun zingers in there which which i i enjoyed that article thank you and and so we went through that i didn't include it in part of how that started was i didn't include jimmy butler's extensions in my piece for the athletic previewing their offseason it was kind of like he was kind of like well why and then we turned that into a piece which was fun and i i really appreciated the way that he kind of thought about it and we put it together and then offseason previews are still going strong the wizards one i think is the most recent one that came out on friday and then i'll probably have one or one ready for monday as well but this is coming out on sunday so you'll have to wait okay. for it we'll see you guys on sunday night uh where we absolutely will be doing a show regardless of how bad the gardens are but we'll, we'll get into some more off stuff too i haven't figured out exactly what yet uh touch y'all then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply